Welcome to the 2020 Grief Project podcast, hosted by me, Diane Brennan and Kristen Lajeunesse, two people engaging in dialogue around death and dying and the psychology of loss and grief. Join us in becoming more curious and less afraid of these sometimes scary topics. Hi, it's Diane. Welcome to the 2020 Grief Project podcast. I'm here with Kristen. Hello. (laughs) And we are here today to reflect on some of the past interviews that we've done with just the kind and, and really wonderful people who have allowed us to hear their stories and and use them as a way for others to understand grief and understand their grief experience. And Kristen, I'm not sure about you, but I know every time I re-listen to these, one, I catch new things, and two, I just always walk away feeling so inspired by others and their journey and how they navigated through the loss in their life and just found a way to move forward. Yeah, I agree. And, you know, I, I find that I always either reach out to a friend or family member after in reflecting on maybe a, a loss or an experience that someone I know has had, because these interviews give me a different perspective or a reminder of the hurdles or the the journey through which someone navigates as they're overcoming and healing through their grieving process. And so it always, I always end up reaching out to someone to check in on them or see how they're doing uh, because someone else's story may have reminded me of them. And there's one in particular that we're going to touch on today. That's just so, I still remember the first time hearing about it. So shocked at not only the type of loss and what happened, but this person's journey and where they, they've ended up today has just been so incredible. Very, very inspiring. Yeah, I agree with you. I am at times in awe of the human spirit and our ability to be resilient and to grow and to become different mm-hmm. people over the course of our life. And, and yeah, I always think about like, you're not the same person you were 10 years ago, five years ago, but mm-hmm. even five minutes ago, right. <laughs> right? I mean, I guess that's like sudden evolution there, but <laughs> yeah. there's, probably, there's probably some phrase. There's probably someone who studied that, that we just don't know about, but <laughs> let's get to it. I mean, let's talk about uh, some of these past interviews. And I know we, we picked three interviews uh, to talk about today and we're going to uh, provide links for everyone to go see the full interviews. So uh, if there's something that you hear us talk about that you want to learn more about or hear the stories, like we encourage you to go and uh, listen to the full stories because they are all equally incredible in their own in their own right. And we wanted to reflect on a couple of our interviews that talk about sudden loss and the three interviews that that came to mind all 
also happened to be um, the loss of a sibling. And we are, we have three interviews, uh, one with uh, Shani, who, uh, who experienced the loss of her sister when she was, oh, Kristen, I'm trying to think, was she 12 or 13? Yeah. What, how Shani, old was Shani? Shani was 13. 13. She was actually, it was like one month out from her 14th birthday. That her Okay. Yeah. Right. Okay. So she was 13 and um, found out that her sister was murdered. And the sudden, certainly shock of that news, but also, mm-hmm. you know, the fact that Shani's sister and her sister's friend were um, were murdered by someone that that they knew that was kind of in the same community. So mm-hmm. that in and of itself um, is a lot to yeah. take in, right? Um, and then we have uh, Sarah, who was a bit younger than Shani, probably like nine, not maybe nine or ten, uh, somewhere in that age, and. Uh, her brother, who you know she looked up to and admired, uh, was killed as a result of a car accident from certainly, you know, a young, very young person. And what that what that loss has been like for her over the last thirty years. And then we also spoke to Paul, and Paul was a little bit older. He was in his early twenties at the the time that his younger brother died from a swimming accident and his younger brother was competing, right? Yes. Oh yeah. 17. That's okay. 17. I Um, have it written down because it was on his brother's birthday, his 17th birthday that he died. That he died. Yeah. 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 I mean that just, right. Just Mm -hmm. like, the a, a joyful day turning into a tragic day right mm-hmm. yeah um, it was at I think a, a swimming meet and they I believe after the fact they they thought it was adult death syndrome sudden adult death syndrome um that happened while he was under the water so it was kind of a combination of of things at the time yeah right I got rest I recall exactly what you're saying they had a explanation Mm-hmm. for what they believed happened during the swim meet. And uh, Paul shared with us his journey as well and and what what that looked like for uh, for him from a 20-year-old's perspective. So I thought it was, one, just so beautiful that they were all willing to kind of share their stories with us and really help us further the goals of the 2020 grief project, right? Which is, you know, to really get into talking about loss and grief in a, in a very different way and having an open dialogue and having conversations about grief and our experience as a way to just broaden all of our perspectives on Mm -hmm. grief and what that can look like over time. And always brings me into this place of, of feeling like what if people talked more openly about their losses and what could we all take away? And I feel like Kristen, you and I have gained so much from having these conversations that 
I really want that to be shared the world in a greater mm-hmm. way. With that, <laughs> what's um let's talk about these three stories and and what they shared maybe in common and what was unique for each for each one as well. And there were a couple of themes that I wanted to dive into and certainly the first one I think is pretty apparent based on our our brief descriptions of each person and the loss that they shared and that these three individuals all experienced the sudden loss of of a brother or sister and they all talk about the shock of that and how that shock lasted for quite a while um Kristen do you do you agree that that was a component and and do you did you get that same feeling that they all kind of talked about the shock around the suddenness and and how it stayed with them for quite some time yeah absolutely I think the nature of a sudden loss like like each of them and not only that but the what could be perceived to as kind of horrific types of loss you know one is drowning one is murder one is a car accident like they're not just out of nowhere but they're also really traumatic types of losses where I can only imagine that in the shoes of those that we interviewed they're probably running through scenarios of what it felt like for their loved one to to have gone through that you know so uh, yeah I think the not only the the shock of it, but the way that they that it stuck with them, especially for Sarah and Shani, who were younger when it happened. I know they both talked a lot about being able to recall exactly how they felt the moment that they heard the news or the case of Sarah, where she talks about she can still remember what she was wearing when she visited her brother in the hospital, like the smells, the people that were there, she can remember it as vividly. She compared it to like some of us who remember 9-11, like we remember where we were, the time of day, who was with us. And so I think that was one of the things that stood out to me as well was just related to the shock. I think I imagine what happens to us, not being a psychologist myself, but I imagine what happens (laughs) is that we, you know, there's a part of our brain that just uh, digs in, you know, like we remember that moment because, because it was so traumatic that we just, we hold on and dig into that memory as a way to probably cope in the moment. I would imagine, I mean, you would know better than I would. For sure. I, I think about it this way. It's that moment of, of knowing that our world is completely altered. Mm -hmm. And in that moment, you become so focused on what's happening because I, I think like the the disbelief that enters like that, that this couldn't possibly be happening and I just remember uh, Shani talking about it like just feeling like those first couple of years mm-hmm. following the loss of her sister were a blur and mm-hmm. I feel like Paul talked about it from I, I think he even probably used the word shock Uh, because I don't think he was at the actual swim race, uh, but he had been informed by someone and had to travel home to get there. And just the, for him, more the, the shock of like getting that phone call and then having to travel home. I think he was in England and had to 
get back to Ireland. But mm-hmm. when when we're confronted with a sudden loss, it that moment becomes kind of seared in our memory as the moment, the before and the after moment, right? Of when we're when we're informed and and the shock and the kind of blurriness of the early grief uh, seems to to really set in. And I feel like, you know, Shani really gave color to that as she talked about the first few years following the loss of her sister or the murder of her sister and how she really just felt so different and and out of sorts and acted out in different ways and and you know something that that she talked about that I think is important is she talked about survivor's guilt and Mm -hmm. she really questioned why did my sister die and why not me yeah that was something I had noted down and in reflecting on that one because it really stood out to me as it didn't occur to me to be honest, that, that someone would think, why, why did my sister die instead of me? And I I believe that she had started rationalizing in a way of that. She was the one that was supposed to be like the big successful sibling. She had everything going for her. She was really smart and pretty and all these kind of checkbox things. And Shani believing that she's, she was the one that maybe should have been Shani herself was maybe the one that should have died instead. Um, I think that really took me aback because I, I, it never occurred to me that that would cross someone's mind. Um, yeah. Yeah. And I'm sure there's a part of it where your half of your brain probably just kind of shuts off or goes into a survival mode. And the other half has to kind of pick up the slack and function. And I, I don't know if something within that in, in a way to I'm not sure how the mind goes there, but that was definitely, I agree with you. That was one of the things from Shani's where I thought, wow, that's really heavy. That's a heavy feeling for a 13 year old to carry. For sure. For sure. And I, and I, I think, you know, survivor's guilt definitely comes up for people um, in all different ways. And I think in Shani's interview, she talks about, how she dealt with that and you know in with positive coping and negative coping to be honest I I Mm. think she really uh, gives a nice picture of that the other thing that struck me uh, about all three interviews was that they were all younger and experiencing like the first kind of major loss in their life and they received different messages about how how to grieve from different people. And certainly we get messages from our family, um, but we also get it through our experience. And in particular, I I really, you know, think about Sarah's story. And Sarah talked about being very young. You know, I think she was around 12 as well. I think I had that wrong earlier. <laughs> um, I think she was around 12. And as most parents would do, you rely on the school, you know, system for a lot. And she recalled talk to the the counselor school and the, just the difficulty in being able to talk about it and being able to share memories and feeling 
that some of the messages she received were to not just talk about the good things, but talk about the the things that her brother didn't do well and and how that kind of shut her down a little bit. We're, we're so impressionable um, when we're younger and we receive different messages about our grief. And look, no one intends to be harmful or say the wrong thing or shut someone down. Although those things occur and we have to work through them. And I just thought about like how how messages are kind of passed on intentionally and unintentionally, but we learn about grief through our experiences with it. That reminds me of the concept that we never really know what it's like to be in the head mm. of somebody else in the mind and the <laughs> feelings and the thoughts, right? So it kind of goes back to that. I think one of them too, may have been Sarah had mentioned, you know, people were doing and saying things from, they were coming from a good place, but it didn't always feel good. And I think that's, you know, that can be attributed to, like I said, we, we don't know how the person is really going to interpret something on either end of it. And what I thought was interesting too, about Sarah's and Shani's is that they were younger, their parents did put them both in therapy, but they had very different experiences in therapy. And yes. then with Paul, he made it clear, and this was a different time period when each of their losses happened too, but he, he was explaining that there wasn't really a, like a therapeutic kind of system in place at the time when he had his loss, like people didn't really talk about stuff and they just, you know, they showed up for each other, but they, but his family didn't maybe seek out resources for therapy. So his journey through, through healing uh, in, in his loss was quite different as well. But, but I yeah, love, I, yeah, I love yeah. that you, that you picked up on that and that you're saying that the, the, the way that they all were able to get support was very mm -hmm. different. And that part of of therapy and everybody's experience being different and gaining different things from it. It's just an interesting point. No judgment, just an interesting point yeah. um, that it's you know, different. I'm realizing too is both Paul and Sarah had came from very big families. They both had, I think Paul had, mm -hmm. he was one of seven kids. Sarah was one of five. Right. Interestingly, her brother was the only boy. I, I remember her making a, you know, noting that many times that the loss yes. felt heavier because he was the only boy who's going to carry on the family name, that sort of thing. And then Shani had the one, one other sister, I believe. Yes. Yeah. The one thing that also kind of stood out was as you were talking about Paul, he, he does talk about how the community came together. And mm -hmm. so in the absence of perhaps going for individual therapy or, or, or something like that, where he found support in the community. And it was noteworthy that 30 years later, the community uh, still participated in an anniversary mass at the local church mm -hmm. in honor of his brother. And I was struck by how uh, how he noted that teachers who taught his brother and you know other members of the community that knew his brother attended that on a weekly uh, on a 
annual basis, like that, Mm -hmm. that they were consistently there. And I just, I was so touched by that. Yeah. It it also makes me think of not to say that the loss necessitated that type of community, but would, would any of these people still be connected if it weren't for that shared experience? You know, it's, it's Mm -hmm. interesting to think of it that way too. And, and not only how we show up for each other, but what types of relationships develop from that and how meaningful and important they can be even 30 years later. Yeah. Love that part of community of support that forms and relationships that form as a result and that they're there um, because of, and what a great kind of tribute and honor to the person Mm -hmm. who died that those connections were made and that they still exist. Uh, Such a wonderful thing to be able to see. The other thing that struck me across all three was that they all talked about the family dynamic and how different members of the family grieved and how how the loss affected their family um, mm-hmm. in all and all of them, the effects certainly were different. Shani, her sister being murdered, and the person or the people who were involved uh, were went through a trial and a court case and court proceedings and kind of all of that. You know, there's certainly a lot there that affects the family mm-hmm. dynamic, right? And Sarah, who talked about how her family members all responded differently. But the the one thing that she noted was it was really hard for her family to talk about her brother and mm-hmm. that she noted that her mom hadn't talked about him openly for many, many years. And I, I think it was like almost 30 years mm-hmm. um, of of not being able to do it. And then finally being able to talk about him. And I just think about that and the impact. And Paul really painted the picture for how some family members in his family want to talk about their brother all the time and others are uncomfortable by it. And that you could Mm -hmm. see that in the difference. I really reflected on how families are changed as a result of a loss and the and the experience that each individual has as a result affects the family dynamic. Mm-hmm. Just to kind of underscore each of the things you mentioned too. I mean, Shani, she they lived in a very small affluent town in Northern California, and it's not just the immediacy of what happens within the family. I think too the community, right? Because they, they have the name of the person mm. who they believe murdered their family member, right? So how the community at large re- is reacting to that, I'm sure added layers of how each family member was feeling. And Shani talked about it too, you know, in like terms of the trial and even today, how she shares, particularly on social media, she'll often share annual updates when the person that was accused of the murders is on trial, not trial. What is it when they're up for up parole? For parole. Yeah. So that that's really fascinating, and how her each of her family members is still to this day kind of they have different 
a different take on what what it means to them to have this Mm. person potentially be let out of jail and and all of that and then um yeah with Sarah's I think the other thing with Sarah too is there it was a very significant time for the family when it happened it was like a day or two before Christmas or maybe Thanksgiving something like that it was was around Christmas but it was on one of her sister's birthdays on a birthday there was also I believe a, a new family member being born. I think one of her sisters was about to give birth around. It was, there was a lot happening in a very short Mm. window. And I think that that's interesting too, because now every year when that holiday rolls around and they're also, you know, a religious family. So when that holiday rolls around, um, you know, what it means to not have that person there anymore. And like you said, too, being able to bring it up, be the person to initiate the conversation, particularly with her mom, and how for almost 30 years, she felt she couldn't do that because she didn't want to hurt her mom. And yeah, very, very interesting uh, uh, how that may circle back every year for for each member and how it touches them differently. And yeah, same thing with Paul too. That one stood out to me on how there are certain songs or video Mm -hmm. of his brother that still to this day, some family members can't listen to that song or can't watch a video of, of his brother, whereas other ones want to celebrate and use it as a way to kind of memorialize him by listening to the, the song or playing this video. And so, yeah, but I think it kind of goes back to that. There's no, there's no one way that people grieve. There's no right way to grieve. I think when right. you're in the moment, you've got to to make choices that are the best for you in terms of navigating those feelings. Yeah, and how we could see that through the experience of our family, right? When we look at it play out, you know, amongst the people that we're closest to, I think there's some good takeaways there in terms of how, you know, grief is a singular experience, but also a community experience. And they're they're two different experiences or two different or two parallel paths, I guess, so to say. It's interesting to be able to see that and for each of them to share that. I just, I so appreciated their honesty in the impacts and the effects of it because lots of times people who are newly grieving start to feel these differences, but don't know how to make sense of them. And so other people's experience with it and just to know that it's okay to have differences and those differences are not going to divide us. They're just the way that we all get through. The other thing that I wanted to make sure we, we made note of as, as we were talking about these three interviews is that there are certain aspects here of forgiveness uh, that, that play in to the grief experience. And it's not something for each of them that was, I would say, early on in their experience, but it's something that may be unfolded and without giving too much away of all of their stories, I think Shani certainly has this very, uh, what would I say, compelling story of forgiveness that is just absolutely beautiful and, and her ability to be able to forgive the person who is involved in the murder of her sister. And I I was so 
kind of touched by by something that she had said was uh, when you forgive someone, you not only open up doors for yourself, you open up doors for that person. And mm-hmm. I, I wrote that down because it, it was such a a giving perspective and and so incredibly um, admirable that that she was able, you know, to get to this place of not seeing this person as a monster, but seeing him truly as another person and as a human being that needed care and mm-hmm. and forgiveness and and how essential that was for her and it was um, a it was a journey to get there it was a for journey. sure <laughs> yeah it's it's worth listening to her full interview because she really has a lot of clarity on the steps that it took for her to reach the place where she is now forgiveness so mm. it it's quite the interesting arc if you will but definitely worth listening to and and that's one of our our video interviews one of our early ones so you can actually see Shani talking about about the experience yeah yeah just it was such a beautiful story Mm -hmm. um the other thing that struck me from Sarah's story was not that I don't know that I I recall her feeling as though there was that she ever um, kind of blamed the person who was the driver mm-hmm. of the car. Her brother was, you know, driving in a car with a couple of friends, and the driver was uh, was someone who was a close friend who yeah. who uh, who Sarah knew and you know went on with his life at some point and moved away and. And there were many years, it could have been like 10, 15 years, maybe longer, that she hadn't had any connection with him. And at some point, uh, she decided that it was important to kind of connect and, and talk. And when she reconnected with him, you know, that part of not blaming or not not wanting him to feel as though um, he did anything wrong um, mm-hmm. was such an important thing. Do you recall that in the in the interview? Yeah, that it, she, you know, once Facebook became Facebook, thing, right? Yeah, <laughs> she was able to reconnect with the, but I think both of the people that were in the car, it was just her brother who had died and the other two the other two survived. But yes, I I remember that part and thinking that as much as as she wanted to make sure that he was doing okay, I think it was also an important part of her journey into finding some peace around what happened as well. Yeah, being able to revisit, you know, this time that was so meaningful for in all of their lives and to be able to kind of reflect on it and Sarah is a person of strong faith and and I just I remember there are also you know being aspects of that mm-hmm. um, that that came up for her and, and for the other person who is the driver for them to kind of share and, and talk about the importance of that for her and and how it helped her really kind of move through her sadness and feelings around the loss that that faith really kind of helped pull her through Mm -hmm. I don't 
I don't recall Paul having any any strong components of forgiveness or blame necessarily as part of his story. I just recall a little bit more of reflection on on self-pity and, and needing to kind of let go of that as part of his journey. Do you have any, any yeah. reflections on that? Yeah, I think a couple of things. One, regarding the the pity thing, I, I remember him saying if he could do anything differently, he, he wished that he had spent less time in self-pity mode and more time maybe supporting his other siblings who were you know, grieving in different ways. And I guess to that, I would, you know, if I were sitting across from him now or talking to him now, I would suppose I'd encourage him to, to try to let that go too. If he's still holding on to that, maybe feel those feelings of what he would have done differently, because like we keep saying, you know, there's, there's no right way to do it. And, and if he needed to self-soothe and whatever that looked like, if he thought of that as pitying himself or however that turned out for him, you know, I think that's okay. I think that's okay sometimes because we all have to navigate in, in the ways that work best for us. I think another thing though, that, that stood out to me and related to kind of the family dynamic pieces, he now has kids of his own that are, that are in mm. teenage years. And I thought it was interesting that he said one of the lingering things uh, that has carried forward is each time one of his kids is about to turn 17, the same age his brother died, he has this little ping of anxiety around, you know, hoping that they'll make it through their 17th birthday. I mean, I get that, right? Like the markers, like forever, kind of yeah. something that you know, he sees as important to get past or beyond, right? And I could, I could see where, you know, that anxiety could come up. Yeah. And he had noted, you know, related to that, you know, it, it would also make him think of, he's now where his parents were at that age of their child. And so it would make him think back to, you know, how they felt in that moment of, of realizing that one of their, their children had died. It's interesting how we kind of like Sarah's memory of, knowing what she was wearing and the smells around her and the people around her being seared into her memory. So too is the feeling he had or this feeling he carries forward around someone, anyone that he loves turning 17. Yeah. What I really appreciated in all three interviews was that they really paint a picture of how their grief shifted over time and how they dealt with the sadness and the pain mm -hmm. and and maybe like the injustice of losing a brother or sister at a young age just reflections on how they saw their pain transform over time mm -hmm. um each of them has such a a unique journey with that that um that part of how they kind of work through the tragedy of what they experienced and came through, I guess, to, to a different place now where they will all, I think they all remarked about how the sadness remains, but the pain mm -hmm. shifts over time. I felt like they all in some way also just reflected on see how the family changed over time or they weren't able to kind of know them kind of missed out on on seeing like how things changed and evolved like the missed I don't know I don't want to say missed opportunity but I'm uh, yeah, just not 
not being able to witness the, their sibling becoming an adult and living life and, and being a part of the family and how that would have looked, you know, instead of the version of the family without that person. Yeah. That part. Yes. (laughs) That's how I was like trying to figure out, like, how do I say this part of, of, because I, I reflect on it sometimes too with my own brother that John didn't get to see mm. how the family changed and grew over time. He didn't get the opportunity to grow into whatever he mm-hmm. would become. But that part of the missed opportunity that they didn't get to kind of, he didn't get to meet all his nieces and nephews, right? Like those types of things. He didn't get mm-hmm. to kind of have children, things like that. Another perspective on that too, a different take on it is something that Shani had brought up in her interview, which was part of her being able to accept or rationalize what happened was believing that this was the intended journey of her sister. Mm. Like maybe this was supposed to be how her sister influenced the family or how you know this was the legacy Mm. that her sister left behind was going through this experience so it's interesting when you kind of shift the perspective and I know that that's not something that especially this particular perspective isn't easy or something that everyone would be interested in (laughs) in navigating or (laughs) accepting right but but it is certainly, I think, something that's worth thinking about, at least from an outsider's perspective on someone who hasn't experienced a sudden traumatic or significant loss um, in my life yet is, you know, this idea of w- what if this was the intended journey? Yeah. Yeah. I'm glad that you brought that up because I think in addition to that, I, I made a note in the one of the interviews, it might've been Paul or, you know, he said that he really tried to focus on the life that was lived and not the death. Mm-hmm. And I feel like that similar thing to what you're saying from Shani's interview, like that part of like, and if this was what was intended, then let's focus on that and the joy of the life that was lived and not focus on the death. I think there's aspects of that for Sarah as well. So yeah, I'm, I'm just so you know, grateful to each of them for for sharing their stories with us and for allowing us to share them with others as a way to help people kind of learn more about grief and, and just see it from so many different angles. And I know for me, every time I hear someone's story, I learn from it and and I learn you know, more and more about what it takes to kind of survive a very tragic loss. So I hope that by us sharing these and giving everyone some highlights that it it creates interest for people to go and listen to these three wonderful stories of loss, but also healing as well. Mm. Yes. And if you want to check those out, you can go to 2020 that's 2020griefproject.com we've got them all categorized by type of loss so you would just navigate to these stories and then sibling loss and you can find each one of their stories there excellent thank you everyone for uh, joining us uh, today and we will be back with our next episode soon <music>